I am going to read the scripture that you'll find in the bulletin and should be behind me by now. All right, from the book of Philippians, um, one of my favorite books in the Bible. The word of the Lord here. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, kids. A couple things. One, I'm going to ask a lot of questions. And so when I ask a question, just raise your hand before you answer me, okay? And then not everybody knows everybody. I don't even, I, actually, I think I know all of you, but I'm going to just say I don't. I don't think everybody knows everybody, though. So when you do raise your hand, maybe say your name so that people learn who you are here, okay? I've never met you before in my life, little girl. You didn't raise your hand either. Um, okay, so I have a few questions setting us up for another list of questions. This is great. <laughs> anyway, I had so much fun planning this, so you know. Um, all right, here's my questions, kids. All right? When you are outside in the world, like you're at the grocery store, at the library, or at school, who's in charge, grown-ups or kids? From the back. <laughs> Wait, no, nobody let me call them at all. It's utter chaos. All right, you got to raise your hand, and I'll point. Maisie. I mean, girl I've never met. Grown-ups, that's good. When you're at home, who is in charge, grown-ups or kids? A lot of grown-ups here are like, who knows? Uh, you. Grown-ups, what's your name? <laughs> James, I think you need to sit down, boy. Sit down. <laughs> that's true. Uh, all right, here we go. Let's zero it in. I'm going to lose control quick. In the church, who is in charge, grown-ups or kids? All right, I'm going to call on unnamed boy with the army jacket. Well, uh, I want to say, uh, when you were talking about something else, it's technically I'm in charge on your birthday. All right, great. In the church, who's in charge, grown-ups or kids? Quick, somebody, you. Adults, good. That's, that's, that's a proper title. Okay, can you guys think of any time when grown-ups are told to be like children? Think about the Bible a little bit. Professor. Nice, dude. Look at that, Matthew 5. You just stole it. Why don't you get up here? Um, <laughs> that's exactly right. Sit down. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Just you guys sit still. Um, all right, there's one time that I can think of at least when Jesus has a crowd around him and he calls a little kid up front and he has the crowd 
see this kid and he says, for you to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like this little kid, right? You have to become innocent again. You have to see God like a father, right? So there actually are times that we're supposed to become like you. So with that said, I want to do like some crowdsourcing info. Yes, ma'am. It's okay. I mean, she can kind of do what she wants. Um, What's that? Sure. Um, We'll just let this roll. Um, All right, kids, I want your information on this. James Walker, right here. All right, I I have a question for you. I would like you to tell me the definition of joy. Raise your hand. First right here. Okay, that's a great definition, dude. See what he said? Going to Knobles. That's awesome. That's, that's great. I'm going to put that. They have so many kid rides. That's really a solid definition of joy. I respect that. Okay. What was it again? You've been on it three times. I've never been there. So I've never experienced joy. That's awesome. That sounds like joy. Anybody else have a definition? What do you think? To the grocery store with your mom? That's a great definition of joy. I love that. What about you? What is it? Okay. Hey, man, you do you. Uh, Let's do two more. How about right here? Yeah. When your parents let you be in charge of the house? Interesting. That doesn't sound like my definition of joy, but but that's that's cool for you, bro. Um, All right. Here's here's I have another question. Would any of you be brave enough to show me what rejoicing looks like? Looks like. Like, show me. All right, I'm going to call on you. Yay! That's really good. That's, all right, anybody else? Yay! That's great. Yay! I think we, we all have a theme here, and it's jumping up and down and screaming yay. Well, the reason I'm asking you this is I want to know, can you think of times in your life where you've experienced rejoicing like that? When was something that you did that was rejoicing like that? James, I want to call on you, but I know your answer, and you can't say the things that you want to say. You're not going to? Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Here we go. All right, let's see what's... Oh, that's good. All right. That was the time you experienced rejoicing. I asked James this question yesterday, and... It was a different answer. Um. Okay. Okay. So the book that we're, we're reading today that we're talking about, the book of Philippians talks a lot about rejoicing. Do you know what it tells us to rejoice in? Almost done. We're almost done. Maisie. What's that? Yeah, that Jesus is born, what God has done for us, right? So that the God of the universe who made all things, who made 
The stars who made the mountains loves you and cares about you, and that's worth rejoicing over. Um, well, I think that's all I can pull off before we just lose it. So I love you guys. You can head back to your parents. Thank you so much for coming up here. Thank you, guys. Here we go. Sermon number two is what it feels like. So once the kids settle in here, So what's the point? Or rather, what's the point? That's the question I asked a lot growing up. Um, the question, what's the point, has been something that has kind of always been rattling around in my head. Um, the neighborhood I grew up in, you've all heard me, if you've been here for any length of time, you know a little bit about where I come from and what life was like. And one of the early marks of my childhood was seeing a lot of young people die and went to a lot of funerals. And um, it just began to set a tone for how I saw life, this sense of like, what's the point in trying, right? Um, my family sort of fell apart before I was even born. Um, I was one of those kids who grew up going to, uh, you know, the counselor and the police station and the teacher. You kind of hear the same theme when I was growing up from all these authority figures uh, it was always, Larry, you're going to end up dead or in jail. Larry, you're going to end up dead or in jail. And it felt at times like a sentence, um, less something that I had a choice over and more something that was like this predetermined sentence being handed to me. So the question was always, what's the point of trying? What's the point of life? Um, but the older I've gotten, the more I've come to actually like appreciate the question because it's a good one, actually. Um, and one that the soul naturally cries out, I think, even if we don't know who we're talking to. Um, what's the point? I guarantee that our neighbors ask this question, some outright and some in their own ways. I read this stat this week. The U.S. experienced the highest ever combined rates of death due to alcohol, drugs, and suicide during the pandemic. And if you go for a walk in the city, I think you see those things. I think you see darkness and you see a lot of sadness and a lot of depression. So what's the point? I think we've experienced it too. We all went through the pandemic together, uh, a really difficult time. How many of us in the last few years have experienced sadness, deep sadness, a sense of loss, depression, and a desire to give up? Um, how many of us have experienced a desire to just get out of Philly and go somewhere else? So this is the reason, all these things I'm naming on this joyful Kids Sunday, uh, are the reasons why Stephen and I really wanted to go through this book together. Because it's something we believe that we need and that we need to share with our community. So the book of Philippians is Paul at his most radical, joyful, and hopeful. And it kind of doesn't make sense. Um, and this is God through St. Paul answering the what's the point question. When Stephen asked me, uh, he did this like academic exercise. And he was like, in one sentence, what's the book of Philippians about? And I immediately was like, it's about the meaning of life, for sure. Um, and it tells us right there in verse 21, to live is Christ. Or in the original language, it says to live, Christ. It's one of those like big I am statements that the Bible makes. It's like life equals Christ. And these words are coming from a man who is not sitting comfortably at home pondering these things. He's not pondering the meaning of life. He's not 
provided for and at ease. This is a man who is potentially going to be killed for his faith soon and who is eventually, he is killed for his faith. And the way he describes his situation sounds a bit like a coin toss. He even has like a list of pros and cons. He's like, if, if I live, it's good for you. If I die, it's good for me. I think I'm probably gonna live, but who knows what I'm gonna choose. And I wanna always remember this is the Apostle Paul. So this is not like, this is a very unique individual in the history of the church. This is the architect of the early church. He was someone who would go to a town, he would debate religious leaders, he would set up shop, he would convert people from the high and the low, and he would set up a church there, then he would move on. So his whole calling, everything he's good at, everything he finds joy in, is, requires freedom. It requires freedom of movement and freedom for relationships and freedom to speak, and that's all been taken from him. He's literally chained to a guard 24-7. He can't go to the bathroom, take a nap, eat a meal, without being chained to a guard. It's 24-7. And uh, I love the way Stephen put it last week. I think it was last week. Uh, It's like the guy on the airplane. He's just got a captive audience. And so these guards just keep getting converted because they're chained to the greatest evangelist of all time. You know? Um, Paul's like, he always reminds me of a guy that if you were to invite him to a party, you would be like, okay, all right, let's invite him. We're pretty sure what he's going to talk about. You know? But, But invite him. We love him. Um, and he begins this section of Philippians with, yes, and I will rejoice. And this is all due to his definition of what life is. Paul has a definition of life that enables him to face anything. He, Paul's teaching in this passage that it's not the circumstances of life, whether things go well or things go ill, that define it. but that the way you define life itself will determine whether you stand or fall when life's pressures cave in. So what's the meaning of life? And what are the things that we're tempted to define life by? When I was growing up, I played a lot of basketball. Um, Doesn't look like it, but it's true. Basketball was my religion before I became a Christian. And we had this phrase, if you play ball, you know the phrase, it's ball is life, right? Um, I did an internet search this week and I looked up, what's the purpose of life? And the first thing I learned was, don't do that. Um, it's not very helpful. Turned out like our collective knowledge doesn't answer that question very well. Um, I'll, I'll summarize it for you. Just make it up. That's like the top 20 articles I read from happiness.com. Um, it was like, just make it up. And I think that's really terrible advice. Um, we swim in a sea of idols with a team of advertisers telling us and selling us what to live our life for, whether it be sex, money, power, fame, acceptance, work, making the world a better place, fun and enjoyment, family, freedom, friendship, marriage, political movements, and that's not the end. So I guess my question would be, how's it going? If we put our hope in those things, how's it going? If you put your hope in your career, everything on that list, by the way, is not bad. Many of those things are really good. Some of them are terrible. I think fame is probably terrible. Um, but many of those things on the list, like they're really good. A good career is a good thing. A family is a good thing. Children are a good thing, right? Friendships are a good thing. But they all end. And just think about something like kids. Whenever you, you raise a family and you make your life about children, right? There's a lot of reason why people tend to get divorced in certain periods, and one of them is around the 20 year or so mark. And it's you finish raising your kids, and now you're like, we don't really have a relationship. 
We've made our life about these children. Even if you have a career and it goes really well, you can still lose your job, something can happen to you, your company can get shipped to another country, or things can go really well and you retire. And now what's life about? You've lost that job now. What's the purpose of it all? When we go through the list, none of them will ultimately fulfill. And that is why I'm left with the answer that the only answer to this question is Christ, the eternal Son of God. If you're here today and you've come to this church with kind of like a hopelessness, um, you're welcome here. Um, I would ask that you meet Jesus today. Talk to me after the service. We can talk it out. It's my favorite conversation to have. I'll take you to lunch somewhere and you can drill me with questions and you can yell at me. But just don't leave here with the same pain and hopelessness that you entered with, please. So Liberty Church, I would argue that it's urgent that we live this way, that we live like Christ is all. So why did I bring up the kids and why did I want to ask them about rejoicing? For a lot of reasons. One, because I love, for one, I had to do it. It was my job, you know. But the truth is, I just, I love little elements of spontaneity and chaos in life. It usually is just like where God sticks his foot in the door that I'm trying to close. Um, and kids are really good at that. Secondly, though, I, I think they have something to teach us. That reaction they all had of like jumping up and down and waving their arms and shouting is not us in a lot of ways. Um, we have a hard time rejoicing. Our church is really good at mourning and feeling bad about who we are. Um, we're really good at it. Um, we're good at mourning. And every time we talk about joy, we have like some caveats. We're like, just to be clear, joy isn't happiness. And I'm always like, but it's not not happiness, you know? Um, so Steve and I have talked about this a lot. We feel like the book of Philippians could have been written to Liberty Church. It could just be called Liberty. I'd like to make the case for you for that. If you look throughout the book, here are the things that Paul commends the Philippian church for. He says, it's scattered throughout. I'm drawing from a lot of things here in the book. He says, your partnership in the gospel, right? Do you know how many pastors, churches, and brothers and sisters in the Lord see our church that way? Our partnership in the gospel with them? They pray for him. They're faithful in prayer. How many people over the 20-year history of this church has this church upheld in prayer? Countless. He says, they have generously supported him over the years. Do you know how many people this church has saved from near financial ruin over the years? And I'm not exaggerating on this one. I had, I don't know how many of you know this story, but you were all part of it. During the pandemic, our church raised like a bucket of money um, early on in the pandemic. It was something like 40 some thousand dollars. Um, and my job was to like figure out what to do with it. And I was being really, really careful with it for a while. And then John was like, you have to give it away. And I was like, okay. I can do that. And so one of the things we did was we went to all the restaurants in the area that had closed down and all those people were out of work trying to figure out how to make ends meet. Restaurant workers don't, they're not rich, you know? And so we paid a lot of bills. We paid off some student loans, a lot of rent, a lot of people who were like on the brink of homelessness, we like helped bring them back. It was a list of things that we helped people with. So much so, and this is true, that there are three bars near here that if I go there, I have to like stop the bartender from pouring free drinks for me uh, because of what our church did. I don't always stop the bartender. Um, I usually stop him at some point. Um, that's called having a good reputation with outsiders is what that is. Keep going. They sent Epaphroditus as an encouragement. They shared their people. 
Do you know how many church plants we've sent people to? Think about it. It's a lot. But also when Paul writes, he always adds admonitions and guidance. He's like a father. And in this book, he says over and over, either the phrase rejoice or Christ. Every few verses. You can't miss it. It's the point. It's not like that in every book, by the way. There are other books of the Bible, like 1 and 2 Corinthians, that get wild, where he's like, hey, stop getting drunk at communion, okay? Um, And other much worse things, okay? But he keeps drilling rejoice over and over to them and Christ over and over to them. Sometimes I wonder if the Philippians aren't prone to losing hope and being worn out from all the good they seek to do and the drain on their spiritual resources. I wonder if the pressures of the culture and the world around them tempt them to despair and forget Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on their behalf. Now, I'm sort of like, there's this weird sense of I'm talking about us, but I'm also talking about some of you more than I'm talking about us. There's us and you. Uh, One of my, I think it's probably my favorite TV show uh, that isn't Seinfeld, um, which means it's my second favorite TV show, Uh, and it's Band of Brothers. And I think about it a lot. I quote it all the time, so much so that it's like annoys Stephen. Um, and one of my favorite episodes is called The Replacements. And it's the one where, uh, you know, so you got the old, like, like, rugged guys who landed at Normandy. And they've been together since day one. And then a lot of them died, you know, or got injured and were sent home. And then you bring in the replacements. And the old guys have this, like skeptical view of becoming friends with them because they're like, you're going to die soon or leave. And so in this church, there's like layers. You know, my family and I have been here seven years and that's nothing. I'm learning. Because some of you have been here like 15 to 20 years. You're like those like crusty old guys who landed on Normandy, you know. And you're like, let's see if you make it. Seven years, okay. You know, Um and I wonder at times, like, you, you gave a lot over the years. And I wonder how you have counted the cost of that, what that's felt like to you. Is it easy to lose hope? So, brothers and sisters, I believe it is urgent that we be a joyful people. Eternity-rooted joy is a light to the world. Let me say that again. Eternity-rooted joy is a light to the world. Here's how I think about it. This summer, my family and I had the gift from this congregation to go on a sabbatical. I never even knew a sabbatical was a thing before I came to this church. I was like, what? You just rest? Interesting. Um, It was an unbelievable time of rest. I'm grateful for it, and we came back very refreshed. Uh, Not yet. Um, My son's over there raising his hand. Uh, Wrong tradition. If we were in a different tradition, you could totally just shout at me. Um, The way I've been putting it is... uh, I believe I've rediscovered my joy in salvation. Just the simplicity of that. That that alone can be the thing that pushes you and drives you in life. We've spent a ton of time enjoying each other, enjoying the Lord, and specifically we've spent a lot of time enjoying creation. Our family bought a National Parks Pass, and uh, the, the way we see these things is like, it's like every time we go to a national park, that pass got a little cheaper. And so we planned our entire vacation and sabbatical around visiting national parks mostly, you know? And so one of the places we went to was Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. Has anyone ever been to Mammoth Cave in here? Colleen. All right, look at this. This is great. All right, Glenn and Connie. And Michael, yeah? All right, cool. I didn't want to go. Uh, That was all Mandy and John. I was like, you guys want to go to a cave? Like, we saw Yellowstone. 
you want to see a cave? And so we went to Mammoth Cave. It is the world's longest known cave system. And what they know about it is that it gets longer every year. So it's, we, do have, we have no clue how long it is. It is hundreds of miles long. It's nearly 400 miles long that they know of. It goes across maybe the entire country. Um, we went hundreds of feet underground. So first tip, if you're claustrophobic, don't go. Uh, there are parts in it where it's like you literally have to like turn sideways and bend over and scoot like an L through a shape. It was quite comical seeing me go through the cave. Um, when you go into the cave, there's this part. So we're in there with like 75 to 100 people, something like that. And you go down these steps and you go around a turn and eventually you get completely out of sight of the entrance to the cave, right? And so you enter this room that's like a cathedral underground that's formed by a river. And you're like, I hope that river doesn't start back up while we're in here. Um, and it's, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I think you could fit a dozen of these churches in that space and there'd be room left. It's a cathedral underground, right? And so we're in there with a very serious park ranger who's like, his job is to make sure none of us die and you could totally die. And so he begins by telling us about all the people who have died here and, um, and how they're still down here. Like they're still like, when they move stuff around, they'll be like, oh, there's some bones, you know? Um, it started out with Native Americans who were mining some sort of rock and they still don't know what they were doing with it. Um, moving on to settlers trying to just scatter across the West and look for gold. And on the walls are like, you know, it's like 1844, Billy Bob was here. It's Kentucky. Um, my family lives in Kentucky. Um, so I, I can make that joke, right? Man, I, have, I just got to shut up right now. I got a million Kentucky jokes in my head. Um, so he's telling us all these things. He's giving us warnings about the ways you can die. There, there are just like straight up chasms that they don't even know how deep they go. And you're like, it's like right there, you know? Um, and so he's telling you to not go off the trail, letting you know that there's real danger, and they're definitely trying to make you think the place is haunted, for sure. Um, I was like, they're trying to lead us down this. So the cave is lined with lights, all right? But there's this one part when you're in the cave, and they, he's like, all right, everybody uh, grab a hold of, I'm gonna show you what it's like for the first people coming here. Grab a hold of whoever you came here with, and don't let go. We're gonna turn all the lights off, all right? And so you like just grab a hold and they shut it off. And it is like crazy, crazy dark. And my two youngest immediately let go of our hands, dropped to the ground and started crawling around trying to make people think there were animals loose in the place. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating at all. <laughs> I was like, you guys are crazy. They take after their mother. Um, so <laughs> that's totally true. Um, it's the darkest dark I've ever experienced. I've never seen anything like it. I didn't see any of it, actually. But it was, it was like you're enveloped by darkness. It feels like it's kind of pulling at you and in you, and it's washing over you. There's this crazy experience of uh, coming in here before flashlights. And, like, people came in here with nothing, you know? So then the, the guy is like, all right, here's the first technology that was brought in here. And he gets out an oil lantern and he lights it. And it blazes in the dark. Even though it is like just this tiny little flame, it's like lights the whole place up, casts shadows everywhere. And hypothetically, you could do the rest of the tour with just that. I don't recommend it. 
uh, because we were stretched out pretty far, but hypothetically you could. And though it would be treacherous, you could go through the cave with just the lantern, and many people did before us. I mean, people came in there with lanterns and ladders, and they would put the ladders across the chasm and just crawl on the ladder to get through it. But if you stay in contact with one another in the light ahead of you, you'll make it to the other side. You'll make it out of the darkness. I'm sure you can see where I'm going with this. It is so on the nose. Uh, but I haven't been able to shake it. Like, it was one of those things that, like, as soon as you see it, you're like, that'll preach, you know? Like, you're in the darkness. I haven't been able to get the image out of my head. There are spiritual implications here. We live in darkness. If you drive around the city, it's a beautiful city. I love this place. But there's a lot of people who are really, really hurting um, and really suffering. There's a lot of darkness. And Christ is the light. Christ is the leader of the group, and Christ is the way. They were walking in the darkness. We'll talk more next week about the way of Christ. When I became a Christian, <laughs> and this story is not unique to me, I've, I've got a lot of friends that this is the story. Um, one of the things that drew me in about Christianity in general was the joy that I witnessed. I'd, I'd just never seen anything like that before. Um, and I wanted it. Paul has it in this passage. Paul is so enthralled with his union with Christ, with what Christ has accomplished on his behalf and for this world. He's so captivated by the idea of his oneness with Jesus that it's literally all that matters to him now. It's the definition of life itself. He cuts through all of life's sufferings and puts them all in perspective. It's very important for us to have. God forbid we get lost in the cave without a lantern. But I will say that's what a lot of our neighbors are experiencing is being lost in the cave without a lantern, wandering through the cave filled with dangers and chasms with no light. So brothers and sisters, a couple of weeks ago, our church had its leaders retreat, and I got to observe the collective will of our leaders to be a light, a beacon of hope to this beautiful neighborhood that we love. So what does that take? I think it takes getting this deep in your soul. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Get this truth in your soul. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What's the joy that Jesus was looking forward to when he endured the cross. If you read John 17, it's this dizzying passage. It's called Jesus' high priestly prayer. What he was looking forward to was oneness with you. Imagine that. It's all about Christ being one with the Father, his desire that we be one with one another, and our oneness with Christ himself. That's how Christ sees you. It was worth enduring the cross to be one with you his mission to save you and to bring you back to the Father. And now we are free to say to live as Christ. So if you're here today and you see the light of Christ, even if it's as dim as a candle to your eyes, ask God for the eyes to see more. Grab a hold of one another and as we grab a hold of Christ and with joy remembering what the kids taught us as we go into worship again, follow Christ in the darkness and grab a hold of our neighbors as we do so. Liberty, I think that's our calling, our history, and the future of this church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.